Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. Today's a special day. Every year for a lot of people is a day where people think about their moms, which is a good thing. It's a true fact. None of us would be here without a mom, without someone bringing us here into the world. And I guess that's why it's a day that everybody wants to take to commemorate their mothers, is because there's a recognition. I literally would not exist if it weren't for my mom. And it's more than just uh, someone who gave birth to you. For instance, some people, their biological mother, they never knew for a variety of reasons. Sometimes that's, uh, actually, I suppose that's always carries with it a degree of pain, sometimes a great degree of pain. But then there's always somebody else who's your mom who took care of you, who watched after you, who you cared for. Uh, and even those who feel a loss or an absence of that, maybe because it never really was a part of their life or it was taken away or, um, or they just lost their mom along the way. There's a deep sense of sorrow because of the importance of a mother. Because we think, to some degree, very much rightly so, that the course of our life has been dictated by our mother. That's the entry point to human existence. And again, not just being birthed, but how you view the world, how you interact with other people, how you view yourself. So many things are affected by your parents. And specifically on a day like today, we think about the effect of our moms. It's also a day of uh, appreciation, at least for good mothers. Because some of us realize how many difficult choices moms have to make every day. Moms aren't for forced to do the things that they do. They have other choices. They could choose to not be moms, to end their life as a mother, and to no longer take on the responsibility to push their children out of their life or whatever. And so there's a recognition and appreciation that our mothers made choices. And the ones that we really appreciate and honor are the ones who made choices that were for our good, out of care for us. That notion of your life being totally dictated by a choice or a series of choices is something that not only should make us appreciate, reflect upon good mothers in the world, good mothers that have influenced us in our lives, but it also should make us think about that that's just how life works. Everybody has a life path. Everybody chooses every day a life path that dictates everything about their self. Jesus said as much here at the conclusion of what is often called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5-7, through 7, which in some ways is um, someone once wrote and called this the Kingdom Manifesto, a little summary of the kind of perspective and character and significance of God's rule through His Son Jesus on the earth. And in Matthew 7 and verse 13, Jesus said this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Here Jesus presents this notion that your life is... Um, dictated by your choices. And to be fair, Jesus presents two distinct choices, and you have to pick one or the other. But of course, the fact that he portrays this choice in life as two paths indicates that there's going to be multiple choices. Every step you take, every move that you make in your life is another step. It's another direction in one of these two paths. And Jesus calls us to enter by the narrow gate. 
few things that I think are significant about this. One, Jesus presents us with choice. If you're watching this, listening to this, engaging with this, and whether you're a person who's had some degree of faith, or maybe you're not, maybe you're not even a Christian, maybe you're someone who's not sure about what you think about faith or Christianity or whatever, it's important for you to know that the, the way that Jesus presents to human beings is not something that he's going to force you into. It's not something he's just going to grab you and say, here, you're in this way, or there, you're over there. That's not how it works. In his divine love, he presents you with the option. Now, the option has consequences. It's not options as in, you can pick these two things and it's all going to work out fine, so who cares, do whatever you want. No, no, no. Like Jesus says, look, we're dealing with reality here. And the choice you make is going to define everything about the outcome of your life. But it is your choice. It's not something that you're going to get dragged into. He's too loving for that. Maybe going along with what I just highlighted, the choices that you make have extreme significance, eternal significance. Whenever Jesus talks about life, when you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see the words of Jesus, when he talks about life, he's not just talking about you know, what you do on the weekend or how you're spending your money or your physical well-being. Maybe all that stuff is wrapped up in something much bigger and much more consequential for Jesus, which is the concept of ongoing existence, life even that goes beyond the grave here on earth, life that's going to be on and on and on and existentially what defines you as a person down to the level of your soul. What he says is here, the choice you make could lead to life everlasting or it can lead to destruction, death, or in other places the way Jesus would call it, hell. That's the choice that you have to make. Now you have to make that choice and every day you're determining which path you're going to follow. It's easy to read this and to think, wow, why did Jesus set it up this way? I mean, well, maybe actually let's back it up even more. Why is Jesus so exclusive? Why can't there be multiple paths that lead to life? Why can't there be a lot of different directions that someone could take to get to life? Maybe Jesus is trying to keep people out. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just like, hey, there's one path. It's only the lucky ones and everybody else don't care about them could be that Jesus is exclusive. The only problem is, while this is an exclusive path, Jesus is not seeking to be exclusive. You might say, well, it says right there, there's only few that will find it. Yeah, yeah. There are only few that find it. That doesn't mean that Jesus only wants there to be few. It's very clear from the conduct of Jesus himself, the message of Jesus in his preaching, the fact that after he died and rose from the dead, he told his disciples, he said, you go and preach the gospel to every nation, all people. I want everybody to come. The scripture says repeatedly that God is long-suffering because he wants everybody to come to repentance. He wants all men to be saved, all people to come to the kingdom. So the exclusivity of this one way that Jesus lays out isn't because he doesn't want it to be full. Jesus is just saying this is how it is. That The path to life is a narrow path. It's a difficult path. And therefore, there are not going to be many who get on this path. Now, you might say, well, back to the issue, though. Why does he make it that way? Why did he make it so narrow or difficult, yours might say? Uh, actually, the, the word there, straight, is the gate. Yours may say, narrow is the gate uh, that, that leads to life, right? Um, that concept is not just that it's small, that you got to squeeze through it, although it is that. But it's more the idea that there's difficulty that goes along with it. Why'd he make it that way? Well, what makes you say he made it that way? 
Jesus didn't set things up to be hard on purpose. What happened is Jesus showed up on earth and he lived his life. He told people about himself. He did miracles. He preached things that nobody had ever thought of or heard of before and all these kinds of things. And most of all, Jesus gave up himself on the cross and he was raised from the dead and he ascended to the Father and all this kind of stuff. And all of that was opposite of what everybody had ever thought, of what everybody had ever done, what everybody ever wanted. And frankly, it's still that way today. The way of life is opposite to what we normally do here on earth because, frankly, this world has been plagued with sin and death pretty much since day one. God made it all good, and the second he gave the keys to Adam and Eve, they messed it up, and we've joined right in with them and just wrecked this place. And so it's really difficult, and you know this. Those of you who are trying to change habits, if you try to change sleep habits or dieting habits or financial habits or relationship habits or the way you speak or you try to kick some kind of you know addiction that you got, you know it's difficult to get rid of that stuff. It's a narrow way. Only few do it because most people just kick back and say, let me just do whatever I feel like doing. Let me just keep going on whatever path I'm going on. Jesus says, no. Jesus says, listen, I'm trying to show you a different way. I'm trying to take you to life. I'm trying to pull you out of death and destruction and hell. And I'm trying to take you into righteousness and goodness and fulfillment and joy and life in heaven with God. That's what this whole thing's about. And so it's difficult because it's different. You might say, well, what gives Jesus the right to talk like this? Or what, what does even Jesus mean whenever he says the, the way is narrow? What is the way? Does this mean there's ideologies on default? Well, sure. The, the narrow way includes a lot of different ideologies that are going to be uh, countercultural, counterintuitive, counter to everything you've ever thought or known or that most people ever think or know. Uh, but it's not just ideologies. You might say, well, maybe it's a set of behaviors. Well, there are a lot of behaviors that are part of the narrow way, that are difficult, and that are not what most people do. If you want to know more about this, back up. Start in Matthew chapter 5 and look at the kind of character Jesus says you got to have. you got to be someone who's poor in spirit, who's humble, who doesn't think too highly of yourself, someone who mourns over your sin and over sin in the world. you got to be someone who's meek, someone who doesn't try to use your power to dominate others like so many people in the world. And we hear story after story of people abusing and murdering people and doing all this stuff because the world is filled with this. And we hear of corruption and wickedness and evil because people are not doing what Jesus said, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And you see people who just don't care at all about being merciful or having their hearts devoted purely to God. And we're so conflicted and pulled. And it's not a place of peace. This world is filled with war and selfishness and hatred and prejudice and violence of the worst kinds. And we're not. We look around we don't see sons of God. We don't see peacemakers like Jesus said. You get the point? And then you say, okay, all that's kind of character and and all this kind of stuff, but what about behaviors? Well, look, the the way of Jesus is filled with all kinds of behaviors that are counterintuitive to us. Whenever you got a problem with somebody, you don't sit back and be petty about it or go gossip to your friend or just avoid the person. Jesus says you go to that person and deal with it. Whenever you feel lust in your heart after someone, the world says, hey, as long as you don't touch, it's all right. And actually, frankly, if you do touch, as long as you don't go caught, it's okay. If you feel in that way, you go after them. Jesus said, no, if you even look at another human being with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with them. You've got to cut that out of your life. You've got to chop it off. Get it out of here. And whenever it comes to your marriage, it's not about you being fulfilled. It's about you giving yourself. So you can't cut bait and run on this thing. If you made a promise to be with your spouse till death do you part, then you stick that promise all the way. And it doesn't matter that the rest of the world says that's ridiculous. And whenever you say something, be honest. Don't don't go back on your word. Don't try to make loopholes. Do you get my point? The way of Jesus is a way filled with completely different character, completely different behaviors. 
But that's not really what Jesus means fundamentally. That's not what the narrow way is. The narrow way just isn't ideologies. And the narrow way isn't just better behaviors or different, difficult behaviors. Look real quick at John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're going to come right back here to Matthew 7 in a minute. But in John chapter 14, Jesus actually defines what the narrow way is. Listen to what he says. This is the night before Jesus was crucified. In John chapter 14, in verse uh, 4, he speaks to his disciples, and he's been talking about the life that he offers them. He says, actually, in verse 2, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I to go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way that I'm going. He says, I'm going to give you life. This is, you see the parallel, right? Jesus said, hey, there's a way that leads to life. And here he's saying, hey, I'm going to get that life ready for you. That's what I'm doing. And I'm going to receive you to myself. And you know the way. And one of his disciples, Thomas, said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Thomas says, well, what, what's, what's, the, what's the map? What's the roadmap to get to life? What's the way that we have to follow? Listen to what Jesus says. And this is so simple and it's so kind of shocking and profound that this is the narrow way. This is the way that we enter into life. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, you would have known the Father from now on you know him and have seen him. You want to have life? You want to get to the good place and not end up in hell? Jesus says, that's me. This is why whenever Jesus would meet people, he wouldn't say, hey, go read some books. Oh, if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to need to read the books of the Bible, okay? Like that's a big part of it, okay? But that's not what he said. He didn't come up and say, behave differently. Although he did tell people to behave differently, to repent and things like that. But actually what Jesus would do is he would walk up to people and he would say, hey, Follow me. Follow me. Because I am the way. And the reason why he's the way goes back to the beginning of, well, beginning of time. But in the Gospel of John, the opening of the book says that in the beginning was the Word, the, the Logos, this fundamental reality of all existence. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all men. He created all things. Everything that was made was made through him. Nothing that was made was made apart from him. All reality exists because of this word, which we find out later in John chapter 1 is actually just another way to talk about Jesus before he came to earth and took on a human form. Anyways, after that it says not only is he the creator of all things, but also he came into the world that was lost in sin and death, and he was this light in the darkness. And the darkness didn't really totally understand him, but it also didn't overpower him. And as he shone in the light, there were people who noticed. And some people didn't believe. Actually, many people did not believe, according to John's record in John 1. Just like Jesus said, many go on the broad path that leads to destruction. The easy path. The path that's popular. The path that everybody's on. Not the way that is Jesus himself. But... For those who did receive him, for those who did enter in by the narrow gate, for those who did go by the narrow way and follow after Jesus, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. Children of God. People of light, people of life, people of God's very nature. And so Jesus says, make this choice. Enter by the narrow gate. Now what's going to hold us back? Go back to Matthew chapter 7. You might say, okay, that actually sounds pretty great. And doesn't it? 
This isn't just an ideology, although there is ideology. It's not just a changed character, although it is. And even though it's a difficult way and it's a lonely way, a lot of times when you walk on the narrow way, you're going to be by yourself. The, the, all the, everybody else is going to be going the other direction, on the broad path that's nice. There's a nice gentle slope. No drop-offs, you know. Certainly no hills. It's just a nice gentle slope. Soft underfoot. But the destination is hell. Death. Destruction, Jesus calls it here. This narrow way sounds good, but it's tough. And not only is the way itself tough, part of what makes it tough is there's all kinds of people trying to allure you off of your choice. Uh, this morning when I was walking around thinking about uh, this text and about this discussion, there was a song when I was a kid that I heard by a man named George Jones. He was an old man. He had cheated on his wife, um, become really famous and popular uh, cheated on his wife, lost his wife and his family to some extent. He'd been a heavy drinker and suffered from that greatly because he wasn't listening to Jesus. He had this song that he wrote when he was an old man called Choices, and it was sort of autobiographical. He said, I've had choices since the day that I was born, and there were voices telling me right from wrong. And if I had listened, I wouldn't be here today living and dying by the choices I made. You know, every single day, the thing that dictates our choice of whether we're going to walk on the narrow way or on the broad path, the way of life or the way of destruction, is based on what voices we listen to. That's why Jesus says what he says in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 15. Matthew 7, 15, Jesus said, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Jesus warns us that on our path, let's pretend and, and imagine yourself in a real way. You're standing there and you see two gates. You got the narrow way and you got the broad way. The path that leads to life, but it's going to be hard. The path that leads to destruction, but it's going to be popular and fun and easy. And you decide, all right, I'm going to do it. And you set out on the narrow way and you start walking on that path. And it's kind of hard. You're squeezing through rocks and you're having to, like, at times, climb on your hands and knees and all this kind of stuff. And it's tough, but you know it's worth it. But then you come around a bend and there's a little open space and there's somebody sitting there and they say, oh, hey, listen, you don't want to go this way. I, I've gone this way. There's a detour here. And if you go this way, it'll connect with the other path. And if you even just walk that other path for a little while, it'll help. Then you can loop back around and come back up here. Jesus says there's people like that. And at every turn on the narrow way, maybe especially at the times whenever it's really difficult or the times when you're really tired, there's voices that tell you things that could lead you to choices that would cause you not to live, but to die because you listen to the wrong voices in your life. When Jesus talks about false prophets, uh, this would be pretty explicitly throughout scriptures, people who are promoting false religious ideologies. And that's who we think of first. I want to make this point before we go further and think a little bit about how Jesus defines and, and protects us against these false voices as we're pursuing the narrow way of Jesus. Um, it's not just religious voices. It's not people, in other words, who call themselves pastor, reverend, archbishop, 
whatever, whatever fancy title someone might use. That's not the only kind of false prophet that exists. There are false prophets that exist every time you watch a movie or you listen to music. It just is. They're prophets. They're telling you a worldview. They're telling you an ideology. They're trying to promote some way of living and thinking about life. This way, the broad way over here. Right? Every time you read a news or media source, every time you hear a politician speak, I'm going to argue that maybe, maybe every time is too strong, but just about every single time. They're promoting some kind of idea and ideology and worldview that fundamentally is not the narrow way that leads to life. All these people tell you, you got to get more money. That's the key to security. You know? Or, hey, listen, if, if you don't have your physical health, then what do you have? Or, hey, this is the thing that needs to be the, the anchor point of your life. Or this is, needs to be your greatest pursuit. All these are voices telling you what they say to be right from wrong. And if you listen, you could fall into the trap of the broad path. And you're going to see lots of people go, and you think, oh, yeah, well, that must be right, because so many people think this, and so many people feel this, and we can't go against that. Listen, you gotta, like, you should assume. And look, don't get me wrong. We don't want to be contrarians. We don't want to be ornery kind of people just because we follow Jesus and assume everybody's out to get us. Don't be like that, okay? But live with an awareness that most people are not following Jesus, and therefore most of the ideas that get promoted in the world around us are not with Jesus and sometimes are very explicitly anti-Jesus, just wrapped up in a nice cushion to make it feel a little nicer. you got to watch out for that, that there are false prophets everywhere. There are false ideas, false preachers, and some of them it's on accident. Some of them it's malicious and it's selfish, and we'll get into that more in a second, but some it's just an accident. They don't even know it. They are themselves are deceived, and that's what's gone wrong. But let's get back to this because it's true. A lot of people who say that they're speaking for Jesus, they're speaking for God, are false prophets. And if you question this, man, just go start reading pretty much anywhere in the Old Testament. And you're going to find through the story of God's people that there are people who reject the true prophets and promote things that are just false. And again, sometimes maybe it's because they've been deceived themselves. Other times it's because they want to. Jesus warns us against that. And you might say, wow, that sounds kind of scary. I'm trying to walk the narrow way, which sounds kind of hard anyways. And now you're telling me, there's going to be people who could trick me, pull me off the path, point me in the wrong direction, and mess me up even worse. How am I supposed to navigate this? Well, Jesus gives us a pretty vivid tip on this. He says, look at the fruit. He says, look, the way you can know if somebody is worth listening to or not is by the fruit. Just like if you walked up on a tree and you saw that there was bad fruit on the outside, you would know, hey, something's wrong with this tree. Or if you walked up on a tree and you're like, oh, this one has really healthy, nice fruit, that means the, the tree is healthy and good. So the same thing with a, with a teacher, with a, someone who speaks and claims to speak for God, look at the fruit of their life. Now you might say, what does that mean exactly? There's basically two categories of fruit that we should look for in the influences around us. One is their character. And I'll just tell you actually, most of the time in Scripture, most of the time, whenever false prophets or false teachers are spoken of, it's their character that gets emphasized. Jesus would do this all the time. He would point, and he would actually say something. He'd say, hey, so-and-so, listen to what they say because they're right. But do not do like they do because look at them. They're hypocrites or they're selfish or they're greedy or they're whatever. You know. So, uh, And this goes on and on. All, whenever the churches uh, would receive letters from the apostles, when the apostles warned against people 
it primarily, normally, usually would be about their character. But I will say it's not just their character because, frankly, there's a lot of good people out there who just make good choices about character. Remember, the narrow way is not the narrow way of being a good person or being kind to the poor or being chaste in terms of your sexuality or being an honest, hardworking person. That's not the way of Jesus. Those things are part of the way of Jesus, but the way of Jesus is Jesus himself. So a false prophet isn't just someone who has bad, ungodly, wicked character, which, by the way, as Jesus said, you're going to have to pay attention. Just like sometimes, y'all have done this before, you've gotten that piece of fruit, you thought it looked nice, you bit, oh, ooh, there's something wrong with it, right? In the same way, he says, these false prophets, they come to you like sheep, but they, well, sorry, they come to you, yeah, they come to you like sheep, but then inside, it's a wolf in there. So Jesus is warning us that, that you may not see it initially, but pay attention to the people that you're listening to, interacting with, that, that are influencing the way you view the world because they may on the inside be something that they do not appear on the outside. Uh, maybe this is one good place to say, don't run around trying to skin sheep looking for wolves because there may be some people that really are sheep, really good people, godly people you may disagree with or you may be overly like cautious or whatever and you can skin sheep looking for wolves. But... Jesus' warning is watch out. Don't let the wolves deceive you. Don't let them trick you. Uh, but back to our thing. It's not just their character that dictates whether or not they're someone who speaks for God or not because there are people who are not even following Jesus who have pretty good character. The other thing is, is the substance of their teaching. The substance of their teaching. And you might say, well, how am I ever going to know well, about that? We'll get to that more in just a few minutes. But I want to tell you, we need to pay attention to what people are telling us. Um, for sake of time, I'm not going to read this text. Actually, you know what? That's what a false teacher would do, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take the time. And you're on your couch or in a chair or something, so you'll be okay if we go a couple extra minutes. Sorry, though. Uh, go to 2 Peter chapter 2. I want to show you the way the Apostle Peter gives sort of a definition or lays out some parameters for the type of people that are false teachers. And this includes both character stuff and teaching stuff, content of their character and the content of their teaching. Um, so look at 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Peter's writing to Christians. He's just about to go. He's about to die. He said this, and he's concerned that people know the true way of Jesus and not be deceived. And listen to 2 Peter 2, verse 1. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people in the past, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly, like wolves in sheep's clothing, Peter remembered the words of his Lord, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many broad path. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, and their judgment from long ago, their destruction is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Notice a couple things. I'm, I wrote down a list here, so I don't want to forget these. I'm going to make sure that I, uh, I don't forget anything that I uh, had written down here for this. Uh, the things that Peter says kind of define false teachers in terms of things you can, like specific things you can look for. Obviously, we've got the, hey, I'm looking at their character, I'm looking at their teaching, but what is it about their character? What is it about their teaching that I need to particularly watch out for? Because I don't think it's appropriate for us to think a false teacher is anybody who ever makes a mistake or ever gets something wrong. We're going to get some stuff wrong sometimes. We're all trying to do our best to understand God's will and to promote it to each other. I don't think that's the idea. We're all going to have flaws in our character that we're working on. So it's not just that like anybody, oh, if he ever makes a mistake, I can never listen to that person. No, I don't think that's it. Here's what Peter says, though. Notice in verse 1, the thing that he says define these false prophets and false teachers, they deny the master. 
It's interesting, he doesn't say they deny the Savior. Maybe they actually say a lot about the Savior. Maybe they say, Jesus is great. He's a great philosopher. And you know what? If you listen to him, he loves you and he'll save you. I don't know why I'm talking in his voice, but you get the point, right? People are just laid back. It's great and it's wonderful and all this kind of stuff. Peter says, watch out though, because some of them will deny the mastery of Jesus. Or to put it another way, they'll deny his authority. If you look down in verse 10, Peter says something very similar. 2 Peter 2 and verse 10, he says, It's especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and they despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. You see the point? People who don't appreciate and submit to the authority of Jesus, the mastery of Jesus, uh, and don't talk about that, and that's not the base of everything. He's our Lord. He's our master. If somebody doesn't emphasize that, and not just with their lips, but actually you can see it in the way they speak and the way they conduct their lives, that's somebody you need to watch out for. He says another thing here in the verse we read, and actually the one I read for you there in verse 10, and he says this a lot. You read throughout 2 Peter 2, and you see he emphasizes a lot that false teachers, they themselves live by and their teaching influences others to follow after pleasure, desire, lusts. In other words, remember what Jesus said, it's the easy path that leads to destruction. False teachers give you, well, you know, I know that the scripture says, but you know, honestly, if you go and you look at this and uh, consider that, then you know, this thing that at first you thought was pretty hard, it's not actually that bad. Jesus wants you to be happy after all. Watch out. Be careful, and may I be more careful to say things that are actually hard because the way that leads to life is hard. It is narrow, and it's the path that leads to destruction that's easy. False teachers are people who promote the lusts of the flesh. They promote sensuality. They promote things of this world. A third thing that he uh, speaks to is that they're people of greed. Verse 3 highlights this. Verse 3, in their greed, they will exploit you. There are people who are looking for a claim, and it may be monetary greed. It may be uh, greed of fame or praise or having followers or having people listen to them. Watch out. Those kind of people are not Jesus' people. Jesus himself wasn't greedy for that. Jesus was pointing people to his Father. Why would we think those who preach and teach for him would be greedy for gain themselves if they're really pointing to the way of life? Watch out for those kind of things. The last thing I'll say about false teachers is they're people who twist and mock the words of Scripture. You notice in verse 2 it says, Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. Now, the point is that the, the people that follow them uh, will be so ungodly, but claiming to be of the truth, that people will be like, that doesn't look like a good truth to me. I'm not interested in that, if that's, that's the kind of people it turns out. But later, well, throughout the book in 2 Peter, Peter emphasized the idea there are people who take the Scriptures and twist it to their own devices. There are people that mock and say, God said, what? Are you serious? No way. Right? And there are people who claim to be Christians who mock that kind of stuff. Who, and they do it in a nice way because, after all, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. But they're people who twist the Scriptures. And you read something and it's plain and simple. And they say, well, is that really what it means? I just read it. That's what it said, you know. Uh, flee sexual immorality. There's no, no twisting that around. Repent and be baptized. There's no other way to read that. Watch out for these false voices. Because while we're on the narrow way, we can have people that lead us away from it. I just want to tell you right now, this is a big, big 
big problem because there's so many people that claim to be speaking for Jesus. There's so many people that claim to be promoting the way of truth, but in reality, they're people who despise his authority and they give authority to the church. They give authority to themselves. They give authority to the masses, democracy. This is how we decide things. No, the authority is in Jesus. There are people who promote sensuality, the now, the, the what do I feel, the what do I want, the what do I make will make me happy. That's false. That's leading you down the path of destruction. There are people who seek greedy increase for themselves to use you. They're not trying to help you. They're trying to use you. They're trying to devour you like a wolf. And they're people who take the scripture and say, yeah, I know that's what it says, but, or yeah, I know that seems to be what the Lord is saying, but watch out, beware. And walk right past those folks when they're on your path. Just don't even pay them any mind. Don't give them the time of day. You keep on walking on the way that leads to life. Because if you do listen to these voices, especially the ones that are religious, especially the ones that say they speak for Jesus. You may get tricked into thinking that you're still walking on the narrow way that leads to life, only to be faced with a, the rudest of awakenings and the harshest of realities on Judgment Day. Go back to Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, Jesus continues, and he says, hey, this narrow way, you've got to walk it. That's the only way that leads to life. You can't follow the path of destruction. You've got to follow me. And don't listen to those other voices. Listen to the truth. Only follow the truth. Don't be deceived. Because if you don't, if you allow yourself to be deceived, verse 21, Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, these people that Jesus pictures are not people who thought they were going to go to hell. They're not people that thought they were destroying their lives. They're people who um, woke up every day, and in their head they thought, I'm respecting the authority of Jesus. After all, I call him my Lord. Not only that, but they have an, an emotional investment in Jesus. That repetition, as I understand it, to say, uh, like when Jesus would say, Martha, Martha, or Simon, Simon, or here they say, Lord, Lord. It, it's, it's not like a, a scolding kind of Simon, Simon, or Martha, Martha, it's more of an, a, an endearing kind of thing. Lord, Lord. They had a, a strong feelings for Jesus in a positive way. In their minds, they, at least their minds and their lips, they respected his authority. And with their hearts, they felt deep emotion. And then with their hands and their feet and their lips, they're going out and doing stuff for Jesus. And notice how they emphasize with all these things, whether it's the prophecy, whether it's the demons, or whether it's the miracles, did we not in your name prophesy and in your name cast out demons and in your name? In other words, they're going out and they're repping Jesus everywhere they go and they're talking about Jesus and they're trying to point people to Jesus and they're doing so much. And you could just add to this list. I mean, they're preaching the gospel to people who are lost and they're uh, fighting against poverty or sex trafficking. They're doing all these great things in Jesus' name. And they've got all these you know, uh, things they've written and just all oh, they're great people who love Jesus so much and they talk about Jesus so much and it's all about him and they come finally and it's their turn and they come up on judgment day and they see him and they think this is it and he looks at them and he says I never knew you 
I never knew you. You know, the way of Jesus isn't just about having all the right answers, avoiding those false prophets. The way of Jesus isn't just about cutting sin out of your life. Those two things are crucial and essential. Don't get me wrong. I think I've already made that clear. But you can have all the right answers. You can do a lot of great things. Resisting evil, pursuing righteousness. But on Judgment Day, Jesus could turn you away. I never knew you. I never knew you. That's a frightening thought because you think, whoa, how, whoa, how, how is that even possible? These people talk about the authority of Jesus. They feel deeply for Jesus. They're doing a lot of things for Jesus. How could they never know him? Well, I'm not sure all the answers, but I think Jesus gives us a clue, actually a pretty explicit clue, in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. You know, some people do things in Jesus' name because they think it's um, admirable. And that's good. Jesus is admirable, and doing things in his name is admirable. Some people do things in Jesus' name um, because they have friends and family that tell them it's the right thing to do. And they see that it helps their life. And so it's kind of good for them to follow the way of Jesus and to do all these things for him. And that's true too. But Jesus said, the reason why you got to do this stuff, and the reason does matter, is for the Father's sake. It's to do his will. You know, here, here's the thing. These people who are doing a lot of great deeds for Jesus, these people who feel things for him, these people who no doubt worship passionately, these people who would speak about the authority of Jesus, I wonder if we kind of peeled the curtain back a little more into their life, if we'd say, oh, wait, there's some greed over there. Oh, wait, there's some neglect of family and friends. Oh, wait, you're running around here doing all these great things. You're talking about Jesus all the time, but you've neglected the weightier matters like justice and mercy and faithfulness. Walking the way of Jesus is not um, some grand performance by us. It's a life of obedience, of submission. Or the, the word that the New Testament, actually all of Scripture uses, faith. Faith is where you say to someone else, whatever you say, I'm with that. Whatever. I'm going to do that. I'm going to think that. I'm going to say that. I'm with you. That's what God wants. God rewards those who diligently seek Him, who trust in Him, who don't trust in themselves. They don't trust in their church. They don't trust in the world. They don't trust in whatever. They trust Him. And therefore, they do His will. And that's a comprehensive kind of thing. That's not something where you show up and say, I felt some things for you, Jesus, or I said a lot of things about you, or I thought a lot of things, and I believed some right stuff. And you know what? I did a lot of good deeds in the world. Great. But if you didn't entrust yourself to the Father, then what was the point? And by the way, that's what Jesus did. 1 Peter chapter 2 says that we Jesus has laid out the path that we're to follow in his steps. Sorry, I'm going the wrong way. Go the narrow way. Follow after Jesus. And whenever you follow after Jesus, what Peter says is, is that you're doing the kinds of things Jesus did. And one of them that Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 is that Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. He handed the keys over to his father. He said, not my will, but yours be done. He did all the difficult things. He did the simple things, the big things 
every day, every night. He was always locked into doing the will of his Father. And you know, whenever you do the will of another, that's how you allow them to come in. And notice that's the point here. You see, feeling things about Jesus, saying good things about Jesus, doing good deeds of service in the world about Jesus. And by the way, Jesus didn't deny any of that. Jesus never said to these people, you did not dare you. This is judgment day. Are you kidding me? You did not do it. Jesus doesn't deny it. So that means they must have done it. That's the implication here. But he says, that's a fine. But that's all you coming to know me. That's like you examining me, doing all these deeds for me. But you never let me in. You never really opened up. You were willing to feel some stuff internally. You were willing to say some stuff and do some stuff that would make you feel like you were grabbing onto me, but you never let me grab onto you. You never laid yourself out and said, not my will, but your will be done. Whatever you say, take me there. Whatever you want, do it to me. I am yours and yours alone. That's faith. That's being known by God. And I'll tell you, You may know a lot of things about God. You may do a lot of things. It's helped you understand God. But at the end of the day, none of that's going to matter. It's not going to matter whether you know God at the end, though that is essential, John 17, 3. But the big question of your eternal destiny, when you get to the end of your path, the big question is going to be, does He know you? And the only way that's going to happen is if you actually trust Him, if you give Him the keys to your life, you let go and you say, Lord, it's yours. Whatever you say, whatever you want, whatever you do, that's my life. And the great promise is that Jesus is willing to know you. Jesus is willing to come in. He said in one place, I stand at the door and knock. That's the most beautiful and tragic image I think I could ever see. Revelation chapter 3, by the way. He's speaking to Christians, by the way. For those of you who are sitting there who are like, yes, I need to send this to one of my lost friends who aren't in Christ. Well, yeah, they need to hear this, but so do I, and so do you. Because Jesus said to Christians in Revelation chapter 3, I'm standing at the door, and I'm knocking. I want to come in. I want you to trust me. I want you to let me take your life and make it mean something. I want to take you there. I want to rescue you from destruction. I want to make sure that you don't get caught up in those false prophets who want to lead you into their own destruction and their own evil and wickedness. I want to take you, but you've got to let me in. You've got to let me take control. You've got to do the will of my Father. Not what you think is best, not what everybody says is best, or what I say is best. You've got to let me know you. That's the way to life. How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to even know how to do that? Where do I find the will of the Father? Because it sure sounds like there's a lot of people that are going to be out there telling me they know the will of the Father, but they could deceive me? Jesus, I'm supposed to do the will of your Father, but I'm trying to do all this stuff, and you're saying that may not be enough. And then there's these false prophets. And then, by the way, this is hard. You've told me that following after you, letting you become my path, this is going to be tough. How am I supposed to find the guidance and direction that I need? Look what Jesus goes on to say, and we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Verse 24, Matthew 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, they be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish person who built his house on the sand. Soft, easy, down by the water, everybody's hanging out on the beach, the popular place. A place with much less work and investment. The place that would make me feel good. And there was somebody telling me it would be a good idea to build it here on the sand. And I did build it after all. I did, you know, I put the roof up and all this. But the rain fell. And the floods came. And the winds blew and slammed against that house. And it fell. And great was its fall. You know, the difference between, uh, maybe I should say, the, the road map to the way of Jesus, the way of life, the uh, guidebook, handbook to help you avoid the dangers of false prophets, the will of the Father, which if you follow will allow you to meet Jesus one day and he'll say, yeah, that's one, this one's mine. I do know you. Enter in. If you want to achieve those things, it's possible, but only possible, through the words of Jesus. And that's why we talk all the time about reading your Bible. That's why we talk all, that's why whenever we give words, it's not fun stories, it's not particularly funny or entertaining or anything like that. It's just the word. Because this is the thing. This is how we learn the will of the Father. This is how we avoid false prophets. And we can test that out. And we can know whether what they're saying is true or false or whatever. Because we actually know what the will of the Father is through the words of Jesus. This is how we know what it means to follow Jesus and to therefore find eternal life is through the words of Jesus. And Jesus says, please, 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 please listen. So often when Jesus would preach, he would start that way. He'd say, listen. And then he would preach. And then he would, at the end, he would say, if you have ears to hear, listen up. Pay attention to what I'm telling you because it's of every consequence. Now, you have the choice. Just like you have the choice of whether you're going to go on the path that leads to life or the broad, easy, popular path that leads to destruction. You have the choice if you want to follow after the false prophets that may lead you in the wrong direction or if you want to ignore them and keep moving forward in Jesus' name. You have the choice of what your life's going to be like. If it's going to be a life of full trusting faith where you say, Jesus, come in and make me do whatever you want me to do. Or if you want to say, Jesus, I'd rather you stay over there and kind of leave me alone. Let me do some stuff to make myself feel better and feel some stuff and say some stuff that'll make me feel religious. I'd rather just... You have that choice. Just like these two people. One had the choice to dig deep, just like that narrow way is difficult, to put in the work to found their house on the rock so that when the storms come, it stands. Or you have the choice. You have the capability, made in the image of God, to do whatever you want, including to say, you know what? I just want to build a nice house. I want to build a nice life. And I'm not sure if it's going to last or not, but I'm going to be down here with all my friends on the beach, hanging out, getting a tan, built on the sand, and just be good. Jesus says the choice you make will dictate everything about your destiny. And so Jesus says, follow me. Listen to me. Open the door for me. So that one day, whenever you see me, I'll be able to look at you and say, enter in. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the choice that you and I have to make every day. It may be hard sometimes. 
But Jesus has proven himself worthy. In the end of this, there's a little comment that Matthew gives after the sermon. He says, when Jesus said all these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he spoke with authority. Not like anybody they'd ever heard before. You might say, what gives Jesus the right to tell me how my life should go? Why should I listen to him instead of anybody else? Well, for one thing, he was God who came down to earth and gave everything up. While he was here, he proved himself to be God because he could walk on water and produce matter out of nothing and raise the dead and heal the sick and give sight to the blind. But even more than all those powerful demonstrations that show his authority, he proved his moral authority when he reached out and touched the lepers. And he tenderly raised up the little children from the dead. And he fed the hungry and he taught the ignorant. And he spoke truth to power. And he was willing to be betrayed and abandoned, forsaken, lied about, abused. All the way to death. Which was his father's will. He did his father's will just like he wants us to. But then that death wasn't the end. After that, he rose from the dead. And because of that, because of all of that story, he says, all authority has been given to me. So follow me. Will you answer the call? Will you follow Jesus? We're going to pause here for a few minutes. I'm going to end this stream and um, at uh, probably about 11.40, 11.45 in that range. If you can just kind of have it on, uh, we may start here in two or three minutes, uh, maybe five minutes, to uh, reflect on the death of Jesus and reflect on what that means for us a little bit more. Thanks for joining us. Again, if there's anything we can do to help you or aid you as you pursue Jesus, as you try to walk the narrow way, please let us know. God bless you.